If you like the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories podcast, please subscribe on whatever platform you listen on. Feel free to leave a nice review, too, if you like. And don't be shy about letting other people know about the show. All of these things help us out a ton, and we appreciate it very much. Now let's get to some scary stories. If you like scary stories, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories Podcast. I am your host, just your friendly neighborhood, Maniac on the Loose. Visit ManiacOnTheLoose.com, sign up for our newsletter, and I'll give you some free stuff. And now, sit back and relax. Keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times, and enjoy the ride. Freak Show Patrons I'm 18 years old and took my girlfriend on a date to the traveling carnival that stopped in town. This was a very large, old-timey carnival that had a lot of rides and attractions that many carnivals and fairs retired decades ago. First we rode the classic Tilt-A-Whirl. I made sure my girlfriend was positioned on the side that would slide her into me so I could hug her. She didn't need any coaxing to hug me on the Ferris wheel, as she was deathly afraid of heights. I was surprised I was able to talk her into riding it, but what can I say? I'm persuasive. The Tunnel of Love was a ride they had that you don't see much anymore. It's a boat ride that floats on a moving underwater track. It took us through various tunnels. Some of the tunnels were romance-themed, others were dark and spooky with the intent of encouraging gals to latch on to their man. I can attest that it accomplished its goal. It was a colossal structure for a traveling carnival. The entrance to the funhouse was a large horizontal revolving cylinder painted to look like a barrel. After making it through without falling down, we were subjected to sliding floors, shaking floors, spinning manhole covers, moving staircases, and distorting mirrors. At the end of the funhouse, loud compressed air shot up from the floor. It not only startled us, but it also lifted my girlfriend's skirt well over her head. Fortunately, she was wearing a thick pair of panties, so nobody got a free peep show. It didn't go over very well with her that I found it so amusing, but she forgave me after I bought her a funnel cake. As the end of the night approached, we walked by the freak show tent. There were several carnival barkers standing outside of various entrances to the tent. They were each pitching a specific freak for us to pay extra to see. They were all working hard, but there was one particular carnival barker that was especially persuasive as he rattled off his pitch. Ladies and gentlemen, step under the freak show tent if you dare. Feast your eyes on the most hideous 
terrifying, disgusting monstrosity you will ever witness. I urge those who are weak of heart or stomach to skip this exhibit. For the rest of you, step right this way. The deadly, savage, alligator man is waiting for you. I thought it sounded like a hoot, and my girlfriend was game to check it out too, so we paid the barker the entrance fee and stepped into the freak show tent. We were instructed to stand in a sparsely lit corner under the tent. The rest of the tent was filled with pure darkness. The tent smelt of stale cigars and sweat. I could hear a wheezing breath coming from the center of the room. My girlfriend and I both jumped as a spotlight clicked on and shined down upon the carnival barker. Be forewarned. Stay near the edge of the tent. Do not step toward the alligator man. If you were to step within his reach, the grotesque beast would rip you to shreds. And now, behold, the dreaded alligator man. The overhead lights came on with a bang, revealing the creature that was even more shocking than the carnival barker had let on. The monster had a thick steel restraining collar bolted around his neck. It was connected to an eight-foot-long heavy-duty chain and was fastened to a wooden wall. The alligator man was enormous. It had to be seven feet tall and was thickly built. It was wearing trousers that were shredded above the monster's knees and nothing else. It was obvious as to how the beast got its name. The alligator man's skin was exactly like that of the reptilian animal. Thick, dark green scales covered its body. Its monstrous hands ended at razor claws. It curled its lips, revealing a set of heavy, needle teeth. Its eyes were red with elliptical reptile pupils. Whatever this thing was, it was furious. It violently reached its bulky arms out and gnashed its teeth as it lurched toward us, only to be pulled back by the restraining chain. My girlfriend let out a shriek of terror as the infuriated monster began feverishly pulling at its chain, trying to break free. I noticed that the carnival barker had broken out into a nervous sweat. His eyes were darting around the tent. It was clear that this was not part of the show. When the carnival barker's eyes fixed on my girlfriend, he called out. It's you. You remind him of his sister. It's driving him insane. With that, the carnival barker produced a bullwhip and began viciously whipping the alligator man in an attempt to subdue the creature. This only resulted in angering the monster even more. The alligator man wrapped his clawed hands around the restraining chain and began yanking at the chain with the strength of a hundred men. A loud crack echoed through the tent as the beast successfully busted the restraining chain from the wall. The alligator man was loose. I stepped in front of my girlfriend in a desperate attempt to save her from the monster, but then I noticed that the beast's eyes were affixed on the carnival barker. 
The carnival barker motioned to us and screamed, Run! Run! As the alligator man lurched toward him, wrapped its taloned claws around the carnival barker's throat, and hoisted him up into the air. I believe I screamed even louder than my girlfriend as we bolted out of the freak show tent. The Carnival Barker I hate doing the Alligator Man exhibit. Give me anything else. Bearded lady, elastic man, mermaid woman, sword swallower, tiny people, Siamese twins, fire breather, anything but the Alligator Man. It's true that nobody enjoys doing the Alligator Man exhibit, but I promise you, nobody dreads it as much as I do. Tonight, I was told to do the Alligator Man exhibit. And like any good carnival barker, I do what I'm told. I get so nervous when I work with the Alligator Man, I sweat bullets. Honestly, I think that's why the boss likes to make me do this act, because there's no acting involved. I'm genuinely terrified. The night started out like all the others. I spouted out my regular spiel, and in no time I had a nice-looking young couple step up and fork out the cash needed to experience the Alligator Man show. Something wasn't right on this night. I could tell that there was something bothering the Alligator Man. He was even more agitated than usual. I almost soiled myself when the crack echoed through the tent as he tore the chain from the wall. When the Alligator Man attacked me and lifted me up into the air by my throat, I was at his mercy. If he really wanted to, he could crush my throat like a paper sack. Still, he was squeezing hard enough that the room was starting to spin. The Freak I stood holding the carnival barker by the throat, I dropped him to the ground just as his eyes were beginning to roll back into his head. He gasped and coughed and looked up at me in fear like most people do. Nice job, but next time, go even harder with the whip. The carnival barker rubbed his throat as he spoke. Can't you go a little easier on me? You squeezed so tight this time I almost passed out. I grinned. Gotta make it look convincing. How'd you like it when I pulled the chain from the wall this time? That crack was loud. The carnival barker put his hand over his heart and let out a breath. It almost gave me a heart attack. I laughed. I knew this barker hated working with me, but he was by far the best for this gig. I ramped up my intensity for this particular performance. I could see the fear in the Barker's eyes. I could tell he thought there was something genuinely upsetting me. Truth is, I'm just a good actor. Give me about five minutes and then bring some others in. As the Carnival Barker slowly made his way outside of the tent, I refastened the breakaway chain and got myself back into position for the next show. I am the Alligator Man. I'm feared by all, and for good reason. One reason is obvious. I look like an alligator humanoid. I'm large, intimidating, and I do have quite the temper. Trust me, I'm not one to piss off. The second reason 
is because I'm the boss. I run this entire traveling carnival, and I run a tight ship. Lazy slackers need not apply. It's not easy being the boss and a performer, but I love every minute of it. I'm a freak, and I wouldn't have it any other way. The Bird Watcher. My name is Fred. I'm in my early 70s. Now, don't go thinking I'm some old geezer. One is only as old as they feel, and I feel great. I still get around with the best of them, which is fortunate because it makes my hobby much easier. I'm an avid bird watcher. I happen to know of the absolute perfect location for bird watching. It's tucked away in the sleepy hills of Tennessee. A soft moss path leads me to the seclusion of a cliff-heavy region that looks out over the valley. I spot more birds here in an hour than I do all day at my homestead. This is my secret spot. Nobody knows about it, not even my wife. When friends want to go bird watching with me, I take them to Pickett State Rustic Park. A lovely place for some serious bird watching, but it doesn't hold a candle to my secret location. I prefer to come here a few hours before dusk. That gives me the opportunity to see some of the early rising nocturnal species. Last week, an enormous great horned owl flew right over my head. Tennessee is such a great spot for bird watching. There have been nearly 400 species of birds verified in the state, and that number grows every day. Today was beautiful. The weather was perfect, and I had already partaken in a vast amount of visual eye candy. In addition to seeing a goldfinch, an indigo bunting, a rose-breasted grosbeak, a pine warble, a ruby-throated hummingbird, a tufted titmouse, a scarlet tanager, and a golden-crowned kinglet, I spotted a rare purple finch. The house finch has pushed most of these birds away, so it was quite incredible to see one. The most breathtaking sight of my day thus far was witnessing an osprey dive deep into a river only to emerge with a large mouth bass. I continued up the soft moss trail to the cliff's edge. Last week I caught a glimpse of one of my favorite birds, the cedar waxwing, and I was hoping to spot another one today. As I approached the exact spot I was at when I noticed it last week, I paused when I observed a large black object lying next to a tree stump. It looked like a garbage bag. Probably some damn inconsiderate camper just tossing his garbage around like the world is one big trash bin. I suppose I should have been thankful that they had the decency to bag it. What I was most frustrated about was the fact that I found another sign of human life out here in my perfect bird-watching location. If too many people knew about this place, it would scare many of the birds off and ruin everything. I marched down the mossy trail toward the garbage bag. I'd haul it out of here myself. 
As I got closer, my aggravation grew as I realized it wasn't just one garbage bag, it was at least half a dozen of them. Outrageous. It was not going to be easy for me to pull that many bags out of here. Whoever the jerk was that left these bags was on the verge of ruining my prime birdwatching day. I stepped closer to the bags and bent down to pick the first one up, but froze in terror. The top of the bag was partially opened and I could see a feminine hand. I dropped to my knees as my heart began to race. I tried to control my breathing to avoid hyperventilating. I slowly, carefully opened the top of the bag wider to make sure I was seeing what I thought I was seeing. And I was. This was a human female arm that had been severed just below the elbow. It was cold and stiff. I reached for one of the other bags. I opened it up and found myself staring into the dead eyes of a decapitated head with long blonde hair. She was probably an attractive woman when she was alive. Her eyes were frosted over white. Her skin was clammy and bluish in tone. Her hair was wet, leading me to think she was drowned. My first thought was that I needed to call the police. But if I did that, this place would be deemed a crime scene and would be crawling with detectives, forensic scientists, coroners, and God knows who else. This could potentially ruin my secret bird-watching spot. Before I could think any further on the matter, I heard an odd whizzing sound. It was coming from behind a tree. It took me a few seconds to recognize the sound, but then I realized what it was. There was someone urinating behind that tree. Before I could move, I saw a hulking man dressed in black step out from behind the tree. Fortunately for me, he was looking down as he fastened his zipper, or I would have been spotted. I took the opportunity to dart behind a huge oak tree. The problem was that in order to do so, I had to step off of the soft moss trail and crunch through some dead leaves. I slowly peered out from behind the tree. The large, frightening man heard me scamper through the leaves. He was looking around trying to spot the source of the noise. I had to muffle a gasp because as he was gazing about the area, he was moving directly toward the tree I was hiding behind. If he found me, I'd be dead. I didn't have much in the way of options. I could try to run, but this younger, stronger man would catch me. I could fight him, but I'd lose. That's when I spotted a rabbit about ten feet from me sitting quietly by the base of a bush. I took a peek from behind the tree again. The heavily muscled man was close. He'd be at my tree within seconds. I could see his eyes. They seemed crazed, but luckily for me, were currently focused to the side of the tree. I took the opportunity to quickly stoop down, pick up a dead twig, and hurl it toward the rabbit. It landed right next to the furry critter and spooked it enough for it to hop into action, crunching leaves along the way. Again, I peeked out from the shelter of the tree. I could see the man watching the rabbit scurry away. The man was close enough that I could hear him let out a breath of relief and see him visibly relax, assuming the rabbit was the culprit the entire time. That was close.
I kept my breath shallow as I witnessed the killer pick up a shovel and begin digging holes in the earth. The dirt in these parts is incredibly soft, so in no time he had a sizable hole dug. He tossed the bags in the hole and immediately began covering it up. This psycho wasn't going to want to draw much attention to this location, so my favorite bird-watching spot should remain alive and well, but I wasn't so sure I'd be able to say the same about myself. However, I felt like if I just remained quiet and still, he'd eventually leave, and I might just live to see tomorrow. After he finished covering the body up, he stuck the spade of the shovel into the ground, walked to the edge of the cliff, and sat down. He inhaled several deep breaths as he took in the spectacular view of the valley below. I startled when he suddenly jumped to his feet and pointed at something in the distance. Oh my god! He was excited about something as he reached into his pocket and pulled out a small set of binoculars. He fumbled with them for a moment before he finally held them to his eyes and cried out, It's a Greentail Towhee. Greentail Towhee? Did he say Greentail Towhee? My bird-watching instincts took over, and I jumped out from behind the tree and raced toward him, whispering, Did you say Greentail Towhee? Is that what you said? The man took several steps back, shocked to see me running toward him. For a second, I thought he might topple over the cliff, but he collected himself before reaching that point. Who the hell are you? I couldn't believe this guy was yelling. He just saw a green-tailed towhee and was risking scaring it away by raising his voice? This guy was a nut. I frantically gestured for him to quiet down as I said, Shh! I grabbed the killer by the shirt and shook him as I whispered, Where? Where is the green-tailed towhee? The killer pointed in the distance. I followed his finger as I lifted my binoculars to my eyes, and it was true. A green-tailed towhee was sitting on a branch in the distance. I turned to the deranged killer and spoke excitedly. The green-tailed towhee lives way out west. The killer nodded as he spoke. I know. Do you realize we are probably the only people alive who have seen this bird in the state of Tennessee? We both watched the bird silently for the next ten minutes until it flew away. I even let the killer borrow my binoculars. At one point, I clasped onto the killer's beefy shoulder to hold myself steady because I swear I had become weak in the knees. When the bird finally flew away, we stood quiet for several minutes before reality set in, and the killer broke the silence. I didn't know anyone else knew about this spot. I looked down at the freshly covered grave. Obviously. The killer let out a choppy breath and started to pace as he contemplated what his next move would be. He ran his hands through his hair while in deep thought and then grabbed the shovel and began gripping the handle. I suppose the easiest thing would be for me just to kill you. I mean, hell, we're here, and I already have a shovel. I said nothing. He was correct. That was the easiest solution for him. I stood strong, puffed out my chest, lifted my chin, and was ready to accept my fate. If this was the last day of my life, it was a good one. I was mildly surprised when he seemed to relax and spoke his next words. 
but I'd hate to kill a fellow birdwatcher. His expression curled into a snarl as he pushed me against a tree and barked at me. But if you tell anyone about what I did, I swear to God, I'll hold a press conference and let everyone know about this place. You'll never have any peace here again. This touched a nerve with me and I was sharp in my reply. Fair enough, but if you ever, and I mean ever, tell anyone else about this prime birdwatching location, it will be me holding the press conference to let everyone in on your friend lying under the ground. Do you understand me? He stared at me coldly for the longest time before he held out his hand for me to shake it in agreement. It's a deal. And that was the beginning of a beautiful bird-watching friendship. The third floor. My name is Mrs. Fish. I manage a property called the Riverbed Apartment Complex. It's an old 10-story structure that was built in the late 1800s. The building owner is Mr. Nichols. He's a jerk in the first degree, but he's busy with a myriad of other businesses, so when it comes to this place, he mostly keeps his distance and allows me to do my job without too much interference. Now let me tell you about the building. It's quite nice. Most buildings of this age have lingering issues, but it has been well maintained throughout its existence, so wear and tear has never been allowed to settle in. There are ten floors that house five apartments on each floor. Nice-sized apartments. And although the rent is not cheap, the apartments are in demand. We actually have a waiting list of applicants. The main reason for the demand is the location of the building. It's located in downtown Paducah, Kentucky, a river town located where the Tennessee and Ohio rivers converge. There are a wide array of businesses in the town, such as shops, theaters, museums, restaurants, and offices. The town has a vast history and hosts many festivals and conventions every year. Prior to being an apartment complex, the building was a fancy schmancy hotel for well-to-do types. No one has ever confirmed the rumor that the building was originally a hospital for the criminally insane, but there's a lot of historical evidence that suggests this is the case. I think the owners of the building have always done their best to keep that info on the down low as they fear it may spook potential clientele. The strangest thing about the building is the third floor. It doesn't exist. Oh, it's there, but it's never spoken of. The exterior windows on the third floor are all boarded up, as are the third floor doors in the stairwell. The third floor button does not exist within the elevator. The numbers jump from second to fourth. 
That's also the case with the floor numbers above the elevator doors. They read 1, 2, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Even though the third floor is not present on the number panel above the elevator doors, there is a long pause in between the light shifting from the two to the four, which indicates we are passing the mysterious third floor. When I got this job, the building owner, Mr. Nichols, told me never to speak of the third floor. He instructed me to tell anyone who inquired about it that it's simply used for storage. Never mind the fact that no one can store anything in there even if they wanted to because the doors are all boarded up. But that's what I was told to say. I was curious enough about this that I checked into the history of the hotel that this building was used as previously. Did the hotel have a third floor? Nope. They too kept the third floor a secret and used the old storage excuse. Of course, the hotel did a much nicer job of concealing the exterior windows than the boarded up crap being used today, but I found that puzzling as well. If nobody wanted to use the third floor, why not seal the windows up completely with brick? My theory is that in order to do that, the workers would actually have to go on to the third floor and work from inside. And I don't think anyone wants to actually set foot on that floor. Since I've been the property manager, I've gotten many reports from people on the second floor. They say they sometimes hear bumps and creaks. Some have even said they heard someone walking around on the floor above them. Similar claims have come from the people living on the fourth floor. They say they have heard strange sounds coming from under the floors. Some have reported hearing chains clanking in the night, scratching sounds, and someone, or something, knocking on the third floor ceiling beneath them. Over the years, there have been multiple suicides from the tenants on both the second and fourth floors. Just last week, Mr. Hubble in 4A hung himself. The day before he did the deed, he showed up at my office in a cold sweat. He said he kept hearing voices calling to him from the third floor. Maybe Mr. Hubble had just gone senile. I mean, he was pretty old. But he wasn't the only person to have made such claims. The tenant in 4B moved out last month before his lease was even up, saying the same thing. Voices from the third floor were beckoning him to come down there. There's a new tenant in 4A. His name is Howard. He's already been to my office lodging complaints about various sounds coming from the third floor beneath him. He also nagged that the elevator was stalling in between the second and fourth floors. He said when it was stalled, the elevator doors started to shake and rattle as if they were trying to open on the third floor. Yesterday, a woman who was not a tenant showed up at my office. Apparently, her young sons were in the alley throwing rocks at the third floor boarded windows outside. She apologized profusely for their behavior, 
but then went on to say that her kids were frightened away when someone started pounding on boards from the inside. She was afraid it might be a vagrant and wanted to give me a heads up. I ushered her away and told her we'd check into it. The fact is that there have always been random complaints involving the third floor. Little bumps and noises here and there, reports of whispers and voices, scratching, footsteps. But they were never too frequent. Until lately. I called the building owner, Mr. Nichols, and he was no help. He didn't want to hear word one about the third floor. Apparently, the neighborhood drunk, who happens to be a priest named Father Malone, showed up at Mr. Nichols' office rambling on about the third floor and warning that he should shut down and condemn the building. I guess Mr. Nichols had him thrown out by security. I was curious as to why the old priest wanted the building shut down, so I paid him a visit. Father Malone was drunk off his ass and slurring his words horribly, but I was able to make out the gist of what the old decrepit priest was rambling on and on about. Back when the building was a hospital for the criminally insane, one of the meanest, most twisted minds one could imagine was imprisoned on the third floor. His name was Garth Sykes. He had to be physically restrained the majority of the time, or he would lash out and attack. Father Malone said one night long ago when he was a young man, he was at the hospital to help with church service. He was aware of the demented, crazed killer Garth Sykes because he was close with one of the families that the maniac slaughtered. One night, while Garth was restrained in his room, Father Malone snuck in with the syringe of cyanide and administered it to the psycho. He felt he had to do it to ensure that the monster would never kill again. From what I could understand, before Father Malone injected the liquid death into Garth Sykes' veins, Garth swore he would haunt the third floor forever and take possession of anyone whom he lured onto the floor. He swore to Father Malone that one day he would return. I concluded that this was all utter nonsense from a drunken senile old fool and went back to work. Earlier today I had to retrieve overdue rent from the tenant in 9C. On the way back down to my office, the elevator stalled between the second and fourth floors, and the doors started to shake with severity and then suddenly opened. They opened on the third floor. The third floor was pitch black. I'm not exaggerating. It was like a wall of thick blackness just beyond the elevator doors. Everything was deathly silent too silent until I heard the voice. Help. It was the voice of a child. Help me. Apparently some kid had gotten onto the third floor, but how? Regardless, it all made sense now. If a kid found a way onto the third floor, there probably are vagrants there as well. 
This would account for all the reports of strange sounds. Please help me. I called out to the child. Where are you? I'm here. Help me. I was going to have to venture through the darkness and find this kid. The last thing I needed was some brat dying in my building. That wouldn't look good on the resume. I stepped off of the elevator and onto the third floor. The air was thick and made me cough as I breathed it in. I was about to call out to the kid again in an attempt to zero in on their whereabouts when I noticed a dark mass rushing toward me. I could only manage to take a few steps back before it collided with me and knocked me on my ass. I fell backwards into the elevator. I felt a wave of exhaustion crash over me, but it was short-lived and I quickly felt invigorated. I immediately started hitting the button to take me to the first floor. I would just call the cops when I got down to my office and let them deal with the trapped brat on the third floor. As I stepped out of the elevator and began walking toward my office, I felt strange. Kind of like I was weighted down, and my mind was racing. I was having thoughts and memories that weren't mine. I kept seeing flashes of hacked up bodies and hospital rooms with restraints, and I no longer felt like I was walking on my own. It was as though someone else had control of my legs and I was just a passenger within my own body. I sat down at my desk and didn't move for quite some time. I had intended on calling the cops to investigate the kid on the third floor, but I didn't care about that anymore. I had more important things to do. Like kill. As a matter of fact, don't call me Mrs. Fish anymore. Call me Garth. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed the show. We're dying for you to come back for more. <laughs> Please subscribe to the show on whatever platform you listen on. We'll see you soon. Very soon. Hey everyone, if you're enjoying the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories podcast, we hope you'll support the show. The show is a lot of work, and your support is greatly appreciated. There are several ways you can support the show. Just go to maniacontheloose.com slash support. That's maniacontheloose.com slash support. Thank you so much.